Welcome to Beyond the Shelf. I'm Scott Curry with Chef's Best. We gather to talk about the trends in marketing, retail and production and food and beverage that are shaping the industry. We're joined today by journalist and public relations professional, Jess Saba. Jess is the food and drink writer for New Hampshire Magazine, where she recommends restaurants and dining experiences across the state, and is the founder of Good Point PR, where she has helped over 40 natural food companies launch packaged food products into the marketplace since 2011. She has held various advocacy positions, including Director of Corporate Social Responsibility for 1908 Brands. Jess, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Scott. It's nice to be here. All right. So before we um, kind of dive into the, the current state of things, I'll, I'll let our listeners know uh, why we have Jess on today and uh, and where we are. So it's, it's currently Wednesday, April 8th. Uh, so we are really in the midst here of uh, COVID-19. So whenever it is that you're listening, you can think back to kind of that first week of April. I think it would be safe to say that we're at, um, I hesitate to use the word peak because it has so many meetings these days, but we're at kind of the peak of lockdown. Um, you know, deaths unfortunately seem to be uh, on the rise or, or or hopefully I guess I could say at, at a peak. So um you know, ninety percent of the country is still uh, working from home, so or 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 is in in stay, stay at home orders, and and many working from home. So that's kind of kind of the current state of things, and uh, it's very fortunate that we have Jess on here um, as she's a communication expert and can offer uh, advice to brands. So there's a little bit of uh, timestamp that we'll put to this so people understand uh, the current state of things and and where things are. I would say that the panic part is over. Um, there was a, about a two, three week point of panic and people are settling in here to a little bit of a new reality. So that's kind of where we are. Um, so on that note, Jess, t- so tell us where, where you are uh, right now in your current, you know, current state, current mindset, current business and everything. Kind of give us an update of, of where you are uh, and, and kind of what you're up to, and then we'll we'll start getting into some advice for brands and and other um, companies to follow. But tell us kind of wh- wh- where you are, where your head's at, your current state of things. Yeah, of course. So I started um, working with natural food companies in 2010, which was just at the beginning of a kind of a, a creative output after um, the 2008 recession. And I started in Boulder, Colorado, where our farmer's market led to innovations like Justin's Peanut Butter, JJ's Cocoa Mel, and a number of brands that um, emerged from people who had been transitioning out of other jobs into a period of uncertainty that led them to innovate um, around their hobbies. So people like Justin's and JJ um, end up taking a time very similar to this to create things like their nut butter line or, you know, a coconut milk caramel. And that time was really unique because those companies, um, what I saw was they started to gain a following. They were able to sell into Whole Foods when Whole Foods was Whole Foods. Um, And then as Whole Foods expanded, they were able to gain national distribution. I think right now is a very similar period of innovation where people are, um, returning to themselves and their own interests and asking themselves, well, if I could do anything right now to relieve some sort of stress and this uncertainty, what do I turn to? And there's going to be a certain segment of people, many probably who are listening, 
who turn to food for uh, creative inspiration and stress out uh, as a stress outlet and as a way to take care of their friends and their families. Um, so I've been watching, you know, the growth of many of those companies from Boulder for 10 years and have consulted with a number of them um, from coffee companies to candy companies to snack products. Um, and I just, I think that we're going to see a resetting um, as people begin to figure out what it is they want to focus their time on. So I'm watching from 30,000 feet while looking through the lens of um, what are my clients dealing with right now in terms of operations, management, um, and restructuring of their companies? Yeah, what, what um, you know, what you, you touched on it, but I just want to use your uh, seat as a, a window. What, what are some of the conversations that, that, that you're having? Um, you know, I've heard everything from companies out there saying, you know, everything's normal. Um, you know, the business is rising in, in, in some cases, so they're just not generally concerned or worried. Um, and then heard others that say, you know, we're going to just, just stop, pause everything right now. Um, others are just frankly yeah. don't have time for marketing because they're saying I've, I've got supply chain issues. I'm just trying to work on right now. Uh, what, what, what are you generally hearing uh, from, you know, the food and beverage industry? Yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty, especially as, um, you know, COVID-19 basically started in Seattle and hotspots on the East Coast and then swept across the country and now is merging into rural areas. I think everyone has um, come to terms with the new reality at different times. Initially, um, I think that essential businesses are starting to understand what this new reality means for them. Um, as people look at their product line, they're able to look at data from the last two or three weeks and determine whether or not they are necessary to people who are shopping with um, a new mindset. You know, a few weeks ago, people could buy anything that people wanted to buy was available on the shelves. It was just a matter of, you know, did they want it? Did they have the resources for it? Um, and the spectrum of products that were available was just a result of years and years of innovation and expansion of product lines and expansion of flavors and expansion of delivery methods and sizes of packages. And, you know, there was, there's just so much. And now I think what's happening is that those offerings are starting to constrict. So as supply chains are disrupted, as people in manufacturing facilities get sick, as employees, um, you know, have to tend to their family members, everything is um, constricting to a point where companies are asking themselves, what is it, what is essential for us to create right now in a time of so much uncertainty? So I'm seeing um, product lines shrink. I'm seeing a lot more, um, you know, customers are starting to be more aware of the fact that they have to make sacrifices in terms of what they're able to get. You know, they can't just walk to a grocery store and be certain they're going to find their favorite products on the shelf, but there's a lot more um, comfort in saying, well, and gratitude and at least saying, well, at least this item, the items that I need are available. Um, so the relationship between the product um, manufacturers and the brands and the consumer is changing. And we're seeing that play out um, at the retail level and in e-commerce. It's what what's available right now. So I think everyone's sort of shifting their expectations of what they can what they can get their hands on and companies are starting to um, determine what it is that they want to 
offer in this time? So I would say that's the, that's the first point. And the second point is there's a spectrum right now between um, people who are sitting on the sidelines and people who are, you know, working 20 hour days trying to get product on the shelves. And I just think there's a clear delineation right now between an essential business and a business that it's maybe just not their time right now to um, participate. And that's being driven by um, consumer behavior. Yeah. It- Suppose we can insert a joke here about if you were creating innovative toilet paper, now's not a now's not a good time to go to market. Or I guess if you can get it to market, it, it would be good. Uh, I'm 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 I have to admit I'm a little concerned about the natural foods market. Let me share that and okay. get your thoughts on it. Um, and you know, I would I would say I'm a personal fan of the natural foods market. You know, uh, um, in terms of my my family shopping and behaviors. My concern is on two things. One is, you know, th- there's a there's a there's one of the many 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 funny memes that you know <laughs> I guess crisis leads to a lot of creativity. But one is, um, you know, it said something along the lines of, you know, your your organic at home cleaning materials don't all of a sudden people don't care about that and they're buying Clorox, right? Kind of mm-hmm. a joke there of um, reprioritization. Um, so I know our family, when, when I have, when I'm actually not going to the stores anymore now, we're getting it delivered. But when I was going to the stores and the, the frenzy was underway, I wasn't there to purchase, you know, the usual $6 jar of peanut butter that we get that is, you know, the tastiest among them and, and organic and everything else. I was just trying to get peanut butter, right? I was just like, <laughs> and my wife would sometimes get upset at me if I brought home uh, non-organic stuff. And I got a nice hall pass on that because I'm like I'm buying whatever peanut butter they have. So, you know, my our, my mindset shifted from being concerned with health, which yeah. obviously when you eat organic and, and everything, you are taking a long-term view on things. And I'm just going, I'm, I'm buying peanut butter. I don't care what it is. I'm getting the biggest jar. Um, so it was a, a little shift there and I don't know yet how, how, you know, a year from now I'll be, and that's why I'm asking all these questions. So there's one concern there that people are, are eating whatever they can get a hold of in some cases. Uh, and, and it, I did notice that the, you know, the first things to go are the cheaper things. And all of a sudden some of the more gourmet items are, are kind of last to go. So that's one concern. And the other concern I have is, you know, from an economic standpoint, right? Where we're, we don't know yet, but we're clearly in some sort of recession type thing right now. No one knows the numbers are, uh, no one can, can compute this amount of data at this point, but clearly there's going to be some sort of recession. We hope it's short. We're probably in the midst of one and everything. And, uh, you know, there's a tightening of the belt that's going on. That's just normal, right? Um, offline, you and I had talked about it a little bit, how, you, you know, we're, you're just putting purchases on hold, right? Whether it's a new car or it's that pair of jeans you always wanted. That's a, a normal kind of recessionary type activity is you just tighten the belt a little bit. So how does the natural foods industry rebound from those, those two, at least, I'm, they're anecdotal, obviously, but I have some confidence in them. How does the natural foods industry rebound from that? Maybe they come out stronger. There's probably an argument that um, 
that they they could because people might come out of this wanting to be healthier overall um as it might help you fight the next pandemic <laughs> god god help us but um i just wanted to put that out there and see what your thoughts are from from a, an expert within the natural foods industry and what they're thinking might be on that based again on my anecdotal observations yeah absolutely i think one of the most important um things to focus on right now is how do you as a brand or a business or a restaurant um, or a farmer, how do you connect directly to your consumer? And and um, while supporting your retail partners and making sure you're getting things on the shelf, there's also an opportunity right now to make sure that you're having direct conversations with the consumer. Everyone, I mean, the, the, the trend right now is everyone's moving online. They're getting more, less comfortable going to the grocery store um, for, you know, this is going to be a habit change that lasts for weeks that may extend beyond um, mm. initial threat. So as people get comfortable skipping the grocery store, they're doing two things. One, they're looking for more local fresh food so they can um, support their farmers, but also get introduced to seasonality and local foods. And um, as they bring that food home, they're learning kitchen skills, they're learning preservation skills they're learning um, when to freeze food so it doesn't go to waste I and mean, we're we're all going there's a learning curve here where we're all beginning to understand what do we need in our pantry in bulk what do we need in the refrigerator for fresh food what do we need in the freezer for long-term um, you know the long-term security of food because we don't know what's going to have no supply chain so as people are starting to adjust their habits they're they're outfitting their homes with um, careful, like if they can get better pantry supplies, they're, they're determining in testing olive oils and peanut butters and um, various pantry supplies. So this is a great opportunity to get into the pantries of people's homes so they can fall in love with your product. I know I have olive oils and balsamic vinegars that I just, I love the taste of and others that I won't buy again if I have the choice. So right now is a really, important time to connect directly to consumers and make sure that one, the product you're providing is the highest quality product. So I love the natural foods industry because um, people are so diligent about sourcing ingredients, making sure it's contaminant free, making sure it's non-GMO and organic. And this is, there's a, there's an opportunity um, to make sure you're getting the best product into the, the pantries of people across the country as possible. And on that note, um, it's important to offer discounts if you can, offer bulk um, discounts if possible, help people who are losing their jobs and starting to feed more people in their households as, as people move back into homes with their families or their partners um, or with roommates. I mean, there's a lot more communal cooking happening now, so people are going through their pantry items a lot faster. So as a brand, what can you do in terms of developing a bulk item or a larger size or um, a case discount. And then begin to think about how you communicate that um, directly to consumers. So using Facebook and Instagram and newsletters is a great way to communicate which products you have available in your warehouse to ship directly. Many people are finding that when they go to Amazon or to different online retailers, they can't get the products they want, they're sold out or they're not available um, to be delivered. So if you as a brand have a, an e-commerce site set up, this is a really good time to 
double down and make sure um, you're getting the product out of the warehouse directly to people's doorsteps um, in a reliable way, um, in a way that's economically supportive of your customers. So there's a lot of opportunity right now to provide incredible value to customers that are um, seeking pantry items they can trust. Yeah, I suppose a lot of the you know n- natural food uh, products that are, I would say, in general, um, more nimble, you know, cause yeah. they're, you know, if they're either they're a startup or they're, you know, mature startup, they're maybe around 50 million in sales and not 1 billion, you know, that they're, they already have the operational systems in place. Um, you know, because a lot of them were birthed based on, on direct to consumer. So yeah. they have an opportunity there that, you know, some of the big brands have, have always relied on, you know, just the, the supply chain to, to run through the food stores. A lot of the other brands said they, they, they're, um, you know, they were born by, by at D2C though. So they do have, uh, an advantage there of being able to, to deliver directly. Uh, you were recently featured in a, a great new hope, um, network article, and there was some great advice in there. And I want to touch on these and, and let you expound on a couple of the points. Yeah. Um, there's kind of a checklist, of what brands should do and what not do. So I want to just run through those and maybe give you an opportunity to expand on each one of these items, take a minute or two to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, first is uh, turn off automated emails and be human. Uh, I thought this is great advice. Um, I actually posted on LinkedIn. I thought it was such good advice. And I had, I had just received an email from, it, it was regarding commercial real estate. Uh, it was forwarded to me. But the email was a, a kind of a Q1 pr- prospectus and how commercial real estate was on the up and up and everything. And I, it, it was just the most tone deaf thing I'd ever seen. It was like, We've all seen yeah. a few I'm sure I had a few that my jaw dropped. I, I, one said how to take advantage of COVID and market to women who are encouraging women to buy your product. And I, I responded, I just wrote back yuck to the person who sent the email. and then. I guess a few people must have said the same thing because, I mean, it was an incredibly offensive email. And the CEO of the company responded to all of us and just said, we are so sorry. One of our employees sent that out without asking for permission. Um, we understand that that was um, extremely offensive to many people and insensitive. You know, we're so sorry. And that was the appropriate response from the CEO. But it prompted me to rem- to think I need to remind my clients to be very gentle right now about any outreach that goes out. I mean, people are scared and they're losing family members. And it's not a time to take advantage of people's fear. That's the absolute wrong response right now. Um, But the automated email question, I think that pre-pandemic, we were in a different world. The language was different. It was lighter. It was, it was hopeful and exciting. And, you know, there was the opportunity just to send out an email and say whatever you wanted. I mean, there was there was, a, there was a lot of creativity, which was great, but that doesn't apply right now. We're in a national state of emergency, I mean, declared by the, by the White House and by many states. This is not, these are not normal times, and we can't be marketing like they're normal times. There's an incredible amount of disruption. There's an incredible amount of pain and fear. And if we're lucky enough to be essential businesses where our products can reach the consumer, then we have a real responsibility to be be gentle in the outreach. And it, in, if that outreach is going out, it has to be messages that are 
so important to say that they they can't be left unsaid. There's not, I don't think that this is the time to be peppering people's emails with um, unnecessary promotion and marketing messages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just just comes across as, as tone deaf and insensitive. And as you said, be human. Um, yeah. Keep customers informed about any service or initiative that might help them or positively impact people's lives. So, how, how do how do brands thread that needle? That that's that's a tough one, right? Because you don't want to be, as you just alluded to, taking advantage of the situation. Yet, um, you you may very well have a service or initiative that at least you think might help them or positively impact their lives. Um, I'm getting, you know, still seeing fashion emails, related emails. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm wearing pajamas all day. <laughs> you know, I'm not, you're not, you're not there. Um, that said, I can appreciate that they're saying, hey, you know, we still have product that we want to sell and someday you will be out in public. So how does a brand make those, those determinations? Well, I think the business, the CEO and the leadership need to decide, um, how they strategically want to move forward. So it's really important for every business, at least if they haven't yet hit pause for a minute and be strategic and ask yourselves as business leaders, you know, are we scaling back our operations? Are we letting employees go? Are we furloughing employees? Are we maintaining um, operations and continuing to pay employees with, um, you know, with the, with CEO pay reductions, like what is every business, every business is going to have a different strategy and all marketing is, is a communication of a business strategy in some way. And so the the strategy needs to precede the marketing initiatives. The marketing initiatives are um, the moment you decide you want to communicate a change in your business or an opportunity in your business to the public, then you develop a marketing campaign. So I, I think that it's really important for business leaders to determine um, what their strategy is, communicate that internally first through internal marketing messages to all employees, all um, all board members, all investors, all stakeholders, all partners. And then once the internal ecosystem has been become aware of what the business strategy is, then there's going to be a small piece of that that, that can be communicated to the public. So what that means is, you know, if you are going, if you, if you have product available, let your customers know that they can count on you to deliver it. If you have product that's not moving because you look through your warehouse and there's excess inventory of items that could be useful, but are not necessarily in demand right now, um, especially if they have a shelf life, now is a really good time to find a nonprofit partner to partner with, truly partner with. And um, offer them those products, and if they're valuable to the nonprofit, let the nonprofit distribute them um, to people in need. A few, a few organizations that I really love, um, Conscious Alliance is really good at picking up items from a warehouse within a day or two and distributing it to people in need. And um, I've always found that they'll they'll just pick up products immediately and and make sure it gets to who needs it. Um, so they're excellent. And I'm sure every organization, every, every local, um, every area has a local nonprofit that can be supportive. Um, so building those partnerships right now are, would be um, something I highly recommend. And I think positioning yourself as a partner to those nonprofits is a more long-term strategy than just trying to get a PR hit off of a donation. I don't think that that's necessarily a high value um, 
story right now and it can seem self-serving. So um, I think relying on nonprofit partners to get the story out is a better um, strategy once you make those donations. So would you advise brand? So that, that that's a good point you're touching on because there are many um, altruistic acts out there. Some have made it into the mainstream media. For example, I think we're, we, we, we've heard of how breweries are, uh, I guess you'd call it reconfiguring their systems so that they can um, produce hand sanitizer. I mean, that's just, that's just the strength of, of America right there, right? It's just all these diverse industries that can retool. I think uh, Bauer, the hockey company, is making face shields now for, for medical. So some of those rise to the, to the mass media attention. But there's also a lot of um, altruistic acts at the local level. You know, a, a company may have a surplus of hand sanitizer, so they're donating it to a homeless shelter or whatnot. I think you're giving good advice, which is don't look like you're taking advantage of it, right? Like it, then it becomes obvious why you did it. But is there a time for brands to communicate? Maybe, yeah. you know, retroactively in some way, I don't know, out there, whatever, whatever fall is going to look like for us, hopefully by October we're normal or whatever. And and how does a brand go ahead and do that without, again, seeming too self-serving that they say, yeah. Hey, by the way, we want you all to know back in April, we did this. What does that look like? I, a lot of the time, if you're really truly providing value to your community, you don't need to promote it out because it's, it's not necessary. I mean, you know, there's a gut check that you do and it's like, oh, you know, I don't think we need to speak about this. It's not, it's not valuable to speak about. But what I will say is I'll to return back to strategy, which is in right now when we are in a time of emergency, a state of emergency on a national level, then there are a few things that a, a, a company can do to provide value to the community. Um, one of them is what you mentioned earlier, which is you convert your resources in your operations to focus on an emergency service function, which is um, there are opportunities to create public-private partnerships where your business partners with a nonprofit and supports the government's response to a disaster. Um, and that is, a, there, there are many models for how to turn your business into, you know, into, how to create a function in your business that, that supports the emergency response. So thinking long-term, right now we're in the initial phase of disaster response, which is, you know, we need PPE, we need to support our healthcare providers, and um, we need to help support the government where their capacity runs out. So that's what you're seeing in the emergency service function of companies like Bauer creating um, masks and ventilators and um, you know various other elements uh, items that are helpful. It, it would make sense that a company would transfer their resources to the most acute need. Um, so that's the emergency service function. So ask yourself, is there something we can do to support locally or on a state level or a government level, the initiatives that are already in play? The second thing that a company can do is make product donations of items they already have in the warehouse that they're not going to use. So those donations can go to nonprofits. They can go to hospitals. They can go to, um, you know, food pantries or homeless shelters or domestic violence support groups. I mean, there's so many places where you can donate that those items for people who just aren't able to um, get them on their own. And then the third thing that a company can do is either volunteer or provide skilled labor. So 
volunteerism, um, you know, many people need boxes packed or items delivered. That's very frontline. But if you have skilled labor, um, legal counsel, account accountants who maybe just don't have a full workload right now, um, staff that does digital marketing, or um, you know, someone who can support in logistics, you can offer that skilled labor to an organization, a nonprofit, as a donation, and that donation then can be written off. Um, and so the fourth um, opportunity is cash donations. If you have extra income and you're an essential business right now, set up a corporate giving account where you donate funds to people who need it most, whether they're frontline workers or um, you know community members, et cetera. But finding finding that that initiative that your company cares the most about right now is a really great time to offer excess, any excess you have can be absorbed into the like the marketplace right now, there are a lot of people in need. And I just think marketing is not really the focus during a disaster response. It's, it's providing value to the community in any way possible. And if you do that, then you won't find yourself um, being accused of taking advantage. You'll actually be celebrated for, for providing value. So just ask yourself, what value can I as a leader, what value can my employees offer, what value can um, we create by offering resources that are um, underutilized right now. Mm. I think that that's kind of a foolproof equation for being a company that really does provide support um, in times of disaster. Some great, great advice and strategic ideas there. Yeah, you've touched on them. So I'm going to just quickly run through the other bullet points because I do want to make sure that I shine a light on them. Um, but you, you have touched on each of these. So I'll just run through them here. Um, communicate stock quantities and availability as relevant. Triple check any communications, communications before sending them. Um, I would add to that to also just rely on a professional like yourself. I'm sure that you would be very happy to do a quick phone call or take a look at anything that any company's thinking about doing. Uh, you know, have a third party take a look and give you make sure that you're you don't have a blind spot there. Uh, be compassionate. Remember that people are anxious or scared. Be flexible. What's okay today may not be okay tomorrow. And then your your what not to do's. Again, you've touched on these, but let's shine the light on them. Don't capitalize on people's fears and sell more products. Don't be tone deaf or glib. Uh, and then pause any emails written more than two weeks ago. The world has changed. You need to adapt your message to this extremely uncertain time. I think, you know, BC is almost has new new meaning, right? It's before coronavirus and after. Um, and people have to adjust to that. I want to ask one more question before we let you go. Um, sure. When will brands know that there's kind of an all clear um, to communicate, you know, quote unquote, normally? It, it's, you know, we're getting mixed messages from from every standpoint right now. Um, we don't know probably what new normal will look like. We don't know what unemployment rates will look like. We don't know if we'll ease back into our, our normal lives. We don't know if it'll be all of a sudden and all clearer. So it's it's tough to really know. But from a brand standpoint, how do you know when it's all clear and it's time to normally? Or is it just you've got to just be smart and assess whatever the current situation is for your your product, your industry, uh, maybe your region or whatnot. But what 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 are some of the signposts that people should look for that they should start um, shifting their thinking again um, towards a more normalized environment? Again, whatever the heck that's going to look like. Well, I'll say, I mean, I was just on a webinar. I'm on the board for the Center for Jackson Hole Shift Summit 
and we we were talking to a number of um, experts in the I think I'm sorry National Public Health Institute um, Anthony Fauci's organization that he runs and the woman that was speaking um, Sarah Newman had said we don't think the parks are going to offer programming in the fall you know and when she said that I was like okay so here's the person who's getting the most updated information from um, Anthony Fauci who is advising the president and they're saying that they can't plan ahead confidently at this moment with the amount of information they have to reinstate programming for the fall and that was an indicator to me that says things aren't going back to normal and what we're going to have to face is a lot of uncertainty moving forward which means you know right now is the time to really pull in resources and really reassess the business model that we're we're all operating under and you know, just reconnect to our customers and listen to them on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis to hear what it is that they need. Because I think that we're all going to be adapting to each other's needs as this crisis unfolds. And I just don't foresee us going back into the way things were. So I think we need to accept that everything has changed. Everything is different. We don't have all the information. And, um, as we move forward, it's just really important to be building a network of peers around you and your role, asking them, what are you doing now? What are you hearing? What are you seeing? What strategies are you employing? And um, I guess my last piece of advice would be, if you can build that peer network and do weekly calls, I think that those people that you meet, whether they're co-CEOs or um, other chefs or other people in your roles, you will grow with them exponentially and you will see um, a variety of strategies employ that you can learn from, and they'll become lifelong friends. I mean, during disasters like this, the people that you go through this with become your support network through a career. So um, I just, I don't think that there's, I don't know what the all clear will look like, um, because I don't think we're going to be gathering together in person for a while. But I do think that um, those peer networks are really helpful in assessing information and in developing scenarios and developing strategies um, to plan from. Great advice. Don't operate in, in a vacuum. Um, how can people find and connect with you, Jess? Yeah, so I'm at um, Jess at goodpointpr.com. And um, it's, I love helping people strategically think through their business plans. I, I just, I think the business plan leads to excellent marketing. Um, and so anyone that wants to just call and chat or email, I'm happy to hop on the phone and, and think through these issues. Besides, there's so much time in the day these days that I love problem solving and, um, and thinking through these issues with people. So welcome to email me at jess at goodpointpr.com. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Um, appreciate having an expert on here and, you know, providing some practical advice, but also, um, you know, that the, the kind of the do's and don'ts, but also just some, some great, um, you know, strategic advice. I think if there's one great takeaway here, it is that marketing, you said this marketing is a communication of a business strategy and, um, you know, companies need to just be constantly assessing, reevaluating. And as you said, develop peer groups and networks so that they're not operating in a vacuum. Uh, and you know, they're making the decisions and just re plan on reassessing, uh, almost on a daily or weekly basis, 
sounds like um, some yeah. sage advice. So thank yeah. you very much for joining us. And um, maybe we'll check back in with you, you know, to see where things are a couple months down the road and how companies may adjust or adapt to whatever this, whatever the new reality is, whenever we get out of whatever this situation is. <laughs> you know, I mean, my last little sign off note would be, you know, really don't fight this period of time to try to do what you were doing before. Look at this as an opportunity to reassess. And in that reassessment, really think about innovating in a way that what I mean by that is experiment with um, creativity and see what rises up for you at this time where we're really starting to determine, you know, what's important to us. So I think that there's a lot that will be revealed to each of us um, in our businesses and our personal lives um, in the way that we we support and connect to each other. So I just hope, I know there's a lot of fear right now as we let go of what was and move into what will be, but this is also in this time of uncertainty, there's an incredible opportunity for reassessing and, and connecting to um, what's really important to us. That's so, right. We are resilient. Thank you very much again, Jess. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Shelf, presented by Chef's Best. For more podcast episodes from inside the ever-changing food and beverage industry, visit chefsbest.com.